Good morning, good day, welcome. Whatever time of day it is, or of night for you, listener, that's fine. It's morning for me here. Susanna, here with you this morning. And I'll be joined by the rest of my team a little later on. And I have good news for you. The bagman, the oh-so-elusive bagman, will be appearing today. And about bloody time too. I have been absolutely deluged with cheerios for him. So thanks for all your cards and letters and emails and phone calls and Facebook messages and posts regarding Bergman. He's fine and he'll be back today. So stay tuned. But before anything else, some important news about some climate action today. Well, Holly, there's something on today. Yeah. So today uh, we have a school strike for climate strike coming up that's been called by Greta Thunberg. But I'm from RMIT Students for Climate Justice and we're also organising a contingent for uni students because I think... The state, if you look around, the climate crisis just continues to get worse. I mean, right now there's just these horrific floods in Lismore. Recently, the Arctic and the Antarctic have been 30 degrees higher than normal. Sea levels are rising. It's just absolutely horrific. And I don't think politicians uh, are doing anything about it whatsoever because they protect the interests of like the big corporations who profit immensely off digging up fossil fuels. So I think that we need an anti-capitalist response. I think we need a response from the bottom up of ordinary people coming out to fight against climate change and fight against the system that creates climate change and perpetuates it. So what time and where is it, Holly? That's 1pm at the State Library. Uh, Yeah. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Listener, I've just enjoyed a wonderful week of Irish-themed festivities starting with St. Patrick's Day, of course, when I had a couple of hours in the afternoon in a little pub called The Drunken Poet. I've mentioned it before. It's a nice, quiet little place in West Melbourne. If you're looking for a quiet Irish pub, The Drunken Poet. It all culminated on Sunday with a family day at the Edinburgh Gardens, and it was A wonderful day, full of children and families and dogs, of course. A lot of people have dogs. Not a drunk in sight, not a pest in sight. Just families enjoying themselves in the autumn sunshine. Lovely music, terrific music. And, of course, the dancing children. Oh, I love those dancing children. And I thought I'd start my program this morning not with my favourite, Bella Chow, but with something Irish, just to get your feet tapping and your heart beating. It's the Irish anthem, of course. And feel free to join in, sing along. Sean Peacock, 
Well, I hope you are all singing along there and joining in. <laughs> you know, I can't think of any anthem that isn't about blood and fighting, death and destruction. Though I do believe that the Dutch anthem doesn't mention much of the fighting and the blood at all. Interesting. Perhaps you will say the English national anthem isn't all about fighting, but there is that verse that's not sung anymore. Save us from heretics and all their papish tricks. Death to all Catholics. God save the Queen. Yeah, they don't sing that one anymore. I don't know why. And I suppose soonish people won't be singing God Save the Queen. For those who ever sang it, we used to sing it as children, I recall. But it won't be God Save the Queen, it will be God Save the King. 
King Charlie. I do hope he doesn't go the same way as his predecessor, the last Charlie, did. But I do hope, listener, I do hope that before I kick the bucket, I will see Australia as a republic and we won't be singing God Save the English Monarch. Uh, Good morning, you're listening to 3CR, the only radio left. Did you start the day wondering what you were going to wear? Did you look in your wardrobe and think, oh, what can I possibly put on? I think that's what our Prime Minister Scott does. Now, what will I wear today? Of course, he has to choose something to wear that shows his real self because he's a natural bloke and he doesn't pretend to be anyone else. Well, that's what he said. He wasn't pretending to be anyone else. He said this to Paul Murray. He told us this, remember? I'm not pretending to be anybody else. Morrison was criticising Anthony Albanese for having the audacity, the audacity to lose a bit of weight, get some new glasses and buy some new suits. You know, you can't do that. You can't go out there and lose a bit of weight and get some new glasses and buy some new suits. Oh, no, oh, no. Morrison said to Murray, I'm still wearing the same sunglasses. Sadly, the same suits. I weigh about the same size, although I don't mind a bit of Italian cake. I'm not pretending to be anyone else. He's not pretending to be anyone else. An extraordinary claim, which really flies in the face of of his relentless costume parade of pretending to be literally anything apart from the head of government. Of course, we all know it's hard to think, you know, what will I wear today? At this time of year, listener, I frequently look into my wardrobe and say, don't I have a jumper somewhere? What did I wear this time last year? Morrison, of course, doesn't have trouble like that. He has a a more extensive wardrobe than I have. And I like wearing a hat, but my word, Morrison's got... A whole room full of fun hats. Oh, he must really enjoy that. And what have we seen him so far in the last couple of months? What's he been wearing? He's gone to his dress-up box in the corner and pulled out a few things. He had fun pulling out a nice shiny new high-vis jacket, making him look... Vaguely like he was going to do some work. But while wearing that high-vis jacket, he also had a long flapping tie. And please, please, dear listener, don't let anyone start playing with machinery when they're wearing a long flapping tie or any tie at all. But that was Scott pretending to do some work just like he was pretending to do some work welding without wearing safety glasses. I wonder how much damage was inflicted on his eyes from that little pretense. We've seen him with a broom and a mop 
cleaning an already very clean floor of a basketball court, which incidentally belonged to some very, very healthy donors to the Liberal Party. He didn't go and clean the floor of any resident of Lismore whose home was damaged by the floods. He didn't even visit anyone whose home was actually washed away by the flood. But that's okay. We know it wasn't real. We also saw him playing at being a hairdresser. Oh my God, listener, that gave me bad dreams, I can tell you. Imagine going in to get your hair cut and you suddenly look up and there's the Prime Minister Scott Smirko himself leaning over you as your head's back in the basin. Oh, turn you off having your hair cut for life. But that's okay too, because we know it wasn't real. We've seen him doing ballet, or at least standing at the bar and talking of the bar he likes a beer wearing a funny hat and we've seen him playing his ukulele and we've seen him with his cat or or some cat or other but of course as Scott says in his own words I'm not pretending to be anyone else Now, all this is very silly, I know, listener. Have a bit of a chuckle at uh, the Prime Minister in his dress-up box. But it's how he thinks of the people of Australia that we can be conned into thinking he's something for everyone. A bloke for all seasons.
the great pretender Just laughing and gay like the clown I seem to be what I'm not You see, I'm wearing my heart like a crown Your dressing up is not working. It doesn't hide what you've been doing or actually what you have not been doing. And you have not been a leader for this country. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. I came across this site, listener. It's called FridayEveryday.com. And it's from Hong Kong. I had a fascinating little website. And I was reading about how the West is goading China into war. And yes, of course, the West wants war, but just a small one, please, followed by a quick surrender. The United States is diligently working with Australia and the UK to goad China into what they hope will be a limited war over Taiwan. The aim is to force China to fire the first bullet and then use that to paint China as the protagonist. You know, the bully that the rest of the world must unite against. To prepare for this, the partners in the scheme are teaming up, something like the coalition of the willing in the Iraq war, and the USA is now pushing for another misadventure, this time through a coalition of the coerced. And the Western media is playing a key role in this by trivialising or turning a blind eye to an increasingly long series of clearly aggressive moves by the United States, such as parking warships on China's doorstep, holding naval sailing regattas in the Taiwan Straits, landing senior US officials on Taiwanese soil in military planes, creating an artificial Taiwanese airspace zone and then falsely alleging violations of it, inviting Taiwan to a summit on democracy as if Taiwan were a nation. And then the media paints China's knee-jerk and entirely predictable responses that it will not stand for attempts to promote Taiwan independence and they quote this as evidence of shocking acts of increasing aggression while the truth is, everyone knows they're the same statements China has issued for decades in practically the same words. And the media is pushing exaggerations and misinformation about the death of Hong Kong, the genocide of Xinjiang and the imminent invasion of Australia. And why are they doing this? Well, they certainly want to destabilise China. But the point is, it's just part of a larger goal because the Western powers, that USA, USA recognises that Asia will soon be the centre of global economic power. 
and nothing will stop that happening. And that means time's running out to ensure that Asia is dominated and controlled by USA and its allies instead of by the Asians themselves working together as neighbours. It's a real worry, listener, and really depressing. A war with China. Peter Dutton's been talking about a war with China for a while, hasn't he? Really pushing it. I have a fear that they may try and start a war before our elections. Well, that would take your mind off the stupid fun hats that Morrison's been wearing, wouldn't it? It's a terrible thing, war. And it really makes me despair at times about the future, about our young people. What does a young person think of the current war in Europe, in Ukraine? Here's Holly. Could you tell me about Ukraine? I mean, how would you describe the situation there? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to all of us? The situation in Ukraine has shown us that war is not a thing of the past. It's not, you know, this thing that happened 100 years ago. It's not just the world wars. That That is not over. I think capitalism is a system that creates these wars because states are in competition with each other. So... We've seen this war break out in Ukraine, and to be honest, a lot of us weren't expecting it. Um, but here it is, and I think that as a socialist, the correct position to take, we've been reviving an old slogan from the Cold War, neither Moscow nor Washington, but international socialism, um, because, of course, Russia, of course, Putin is evil, of course, Russia is imperialist and has and is out for its own interests, But we also can't look to NATO or the US, um, who have their own immense history of imperialism um, and, you know, waging wars in the Middle East. So I think that we have to look to the international working class. And I think something that's giving me a lot of hope is the signs of resistance we've seen in Russia amongst the army, who are ordinary people who have more in common with ordinary Ukrainians than they do their government, than they do with Vladimir Putin. You know, they're, the people in Ukraine, many of them are their brothers and sisters and families. So a lot of these soldiers have been told that they were going to Russia for a, a military exercise. They were lied to and they go there and they realise that they're waging a war against their family and against ordinary people. And what do they do? They've, there's been mutinies. They refuse to fight. And there have been these amazing protests in Russia, these incredibly brave protests of ordinary people, like rising up um, and fighting against their, you know, autocratic government. And I think that is so inspiring. And it actually harkens back slightly to some of the mutinies you saw in the Russian Revolution of 1917. So, of course, this is a very small microcosm of that, but I think it provides a lot of hope that ordinary people around the world can unite and fight against our governments that create these wars. Well, you said it was inspiring. I find it inspiring. I didn't realise there had been this sort of dissent and even mutinies amongst uh, in Russia amongst the army. Mm. Yeah, actually, uh, there's a great story. I might not remember all of the details exactly, but there was a ship on the Odessa. These sailors mutinied. Um, they were going in for an, 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 a military exercise or rather some sort of, you know, offensive in Ukraine and actually they they decided we don't want to do this and they turned back and they refused to fight and I think that's just incredible. It is amazing. How wonderful. What lovely news. Uh, yeah, very. 
Well, that's wonderful, Holly, and thank you for that inspiring talk. You really made me feel a lot better. I find the world such a depressing place at the moment, especially. Mm, it is depressing. This system, I think, grinds ordinary people down and makes you feel powerless every day. And I think that's why we have to continue to resist it um, because the more we resist, the bigger that resistance gets and then the more power we feel we have because actually ordinary people do have real power. The working class has so much power, all this tremendous power. We just need to, it's a matter of being confident enough to wield it against our uh, system. I thought that the Vashivyanka was a fitting song for Holly. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. I just want to have a quick couple of words about an organisation called Hillsong. Hillsong, of course, is a church a global evangelical church. And I'm interested in a documentary by the BBC on this church where it goes a lot into the celebrity culture, the sex scandals and the questionable financial dealings. It has a great name, this documentary. It's called Hillsong Church, God Goes Viral. And it features footage captured during two years. Nick Eldridge is the London-based producer and he spent two years with Hillsong leaders. And it includes clips from about a dozen of the 37 churches worldwide, notably in the US, the UK and here in Australia. And apparently... The leaders in Hillsong are now very sorry that they gave permission to allow people to be interviewed for this documentary. 
It opens with a bang as the Hillsong's dance production at a 26th conference features routines like Cirque du Soleil and fireworks on stage. Wow, well, this presentation of Hillsong has more glyphs than substance continues throughout the film. Mm, well done. Through interviews and clips of public ministry and behind-the-scenes moments, God Goes Viral presents a wide-angle lens on Hillsong, which you must remember has 150,000 people in weekly attendance and $150 million in annual revenue. Brian Houston, the founder, says, Churches are usually old, boring, irrelevant and empty. I always thought church should be enjoyed, not endured, with plenty of life and spontaneity in it. It's an exciting place to be, and it's full. Well, fair enough for Brian Houston to say. Brian, who is in Sydney, granted the filmmaker a sit-down interview, but now he's denouncing the film as skewed and says he regrets granting the BBC an interview. Now, this comes, of course, dear listener, after a year of turmoil for Hillsong, with all the allegations of sexual abuse, financial misconduct, and several pastoral resignations. In April, Hillsong even shut down its Dallas campus after the reports that the pastors had used church donations to fund their lavish lifestyle. Golly, I'm in the wrong business, listener. The most detailed documentation of alleged financial misdeeds comes in interviews with former Hillsong East Coast staffer Megan Fallon. Echoing previous reporting about the church, she says, Senior pastors were given prepaid credit cards for church-related expenses. When Megan matched the receipts, what they were for and why they were spent, she realised there was something a bit fishy. There were designer clothes, meals of $1,000 in high-end restaurants charged to the church. The lead pastor was ousted after this for moral failures, including an affair, followed by another pastor who also resigned because of infidelity. I don't really care about their affairs and infidelity. I don't really care about their church at all. But this is what this church is about. Several young volunteers were interviewed from various Hillsong places, and they tell their stories in the film. And they talk about their years of service in the church and how they accrued value only to top leaders. They saw themselves as being exploited. Being exploited. <laughs> well, there you go. Can you imagine a church exploiting anyone? It's beyond me. At one stage in this documentary we see the church leaders on a tourism trip to Jerusalem. Hillsong staff are shown making culturally insensitive comments. Now, if I had made such culturally insensitive comments, I'd be up on a charge. But oh well, there you go. 
the same Hillsong staff also drank water at the Western Wall, water intended for hand-washing. About a quarter of this documentary is spent reviewing the sordid details around Frank Houston, Brian Houston's father. Frank Houston, another charismatic minister, and prior to his death in 2004, Frank Houston sexually assaulted at least one and likely several children over the years. Starting in 2012, Australian officials convened the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. In the documentary, we see clips of Brian Houston appearing before that panel in 2014. Yes, well, we know everything was covered up, but it's not covered up anymore. In recent months, of course, Houston has apologised for the failings of church leaders and for the failings of his father. He says he's reassessing policies surrounding pastoral accountability. Well, yeah, as he should. But why am I going on about Hillsong? Why? Is it because I'm angry with the JobKeeper money that they got? It was only five million. Only five million. A nice handout of that much money to them. Do they pay tax? They are a registered church. And registered churches don't pay taxes. So that's five million dollars of our money gone to them. And it's time for a little working class culture again. And we'll hear from Natasha. BL Blues So many stories told by comrades round bars of blues in the old the day the general died Death shocks us back to life and the past missed in all the strife until history insists that the stories that made the man be told by comrades round bars of blues in the old. The day the general died, they looked behind the man, behind the spectacles and scandals that submerged the urge to solidarity, to act with fucking dignity. You couldn't wait for them to ask what you'd done to say, I'm a builder's labourer, son a name of pride where you dared to struggle and to win side by side or lose and wait at the padlocked gate for the means of survival till the stirring revival in broken old hearts from the fragments of union mourning at Normie's grave sends a message to Reith's second wave. Gallagher is dead but the legacy is still alive in the words of the late Joe Hill. Don't mourn, organise his last testament, his will.
bust my face Scatter my rights all over the place And take the bread from off my plate But you can't break me Lock me out, chain the gates Put black shirts in with dogs and mace I'll hold the line, won't step away Cause you can't break me I belong, you belong, we belong to the union Don't count me out when I'm on the floor We'll win again, we've won before The streets will ring with a mighty roar Cause you can't break me Stocks rise up on workers' backs Profits soar while you hand out the sack Boardroom bullies bloated and fat But you can't break me Australia's sold to mates offshore Backroom deals and chunky law This day has come, we say no more You can't break me I belong, you belong, we belong to the union I belong, you belong, we belong to the union I'll never lay down and die I'm in the union, mate, got a right to belong We'll be back, million strong Women and men united as one Cause you can't break me There's a warning here to the men in grey The piper's come, it's time to pay We're taking back what you stole away Cause you can't break me I belong, you belong, we belong to As I promised, as I warned you earlier, I did track down that oh-so-elusive bag man. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's Voice of Dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. Well, good morning, Bagman. How nice to hear from you after such a long time. Yes, good morning, Susan, and it's good to be back uh, on your program. And before I go too far, I want to thank all those people that have been in touch with your program, um, asking about my health and whatever. I'm almost there. Um, I was almost not there at one stage, but I think I'm coming back now and I'm almost there. There's a light at the end of the tunnel? There sure is. Well, just make sure it's not a train. Yeah, that's right. Let's be controversial this morning, Susan. And You know, history owes nothing to anybody except the truth. Now, I want to talk about the canonisation of St Kimberley. Now, 
There's an old saying around the traps, if you want a friend in politics, buy a dog. That's about the only friend you'll ever make in politics. Now, following the tragic death of Kimberley Kitching, now I've got to say, any death is tragic at such a young age. Let's examine the saint-like status now being imposed on her as a simple matter of wedge politics by the coalition parties and the right-wing media who wouldn't know the real woman from their left elbow or their arseholes. The simple fact is the funeral of Kimberley Kitchen um, will almost rival that of the state funeral of Shane Warne. But let me take you back. Let me take you back down memory lane, as I often do. In 2016, just after her induction to the Senate, and we all know she was a senator, a motion was passed in the affirmative to censure Kitchen Kitching for lying to the Royal Commission. In a rare united move, the Greens joined the coalition in backing the motion. The motion was also also received support from three One Nation senators, but more of that that later. Now we're going to take into account she's just walked into the uh, into the Senate, and the Greens, the coalition, and three One Nation senators have moved to censure her. Now, if that's not bullying, I'll never know what bullying is. Now, even before her induction, Malcolm Turnbull, Peter Dutton and other male colleagues had been whipping up anti-kitchen jibes. Now, if that's not bullying, I don't know what he is. Recent statements from former opposition leader Bill Shorten, you know, he questioned whether Keating should have been thrown into the filthy cesspool of Labor politics. In actual fact, Kitching was a captain's pick by Shorten himself, despite the criminal charges of perjury hanging over her head. Now, take into account you're being inducted into the Senate, you're being the captains pick into the Senate on behalf of the Labor Party and most of the people are not happy about it and she has these charges of perjury hanging over her head. Now, although alarms were raised by the Labor Party rank and file, which believed she was being parachuted into Parliament, now no one's going to argue with that, Shorten insisted she'd be thrown into the ring carrying a whole lot of baggage without any concern for, the, for her health. Yeah, guess what? He wanted a head kicker in there. Now, Susan, before I go too far, I sat through every day of the Royal Commission into trade union governance and corruption and was amazed at the total disdain she and Diane Esmar, 
Now, Diane Asmark is the secretary of the Health Workers Union. Now, Diane has said recently, and she's been quoted in the paper uh, as saying that she was there holding Kimberly Kitchen's hand as she died. I think that's a long bow. I think her husband, Andrew Landier, and uh, Bill Shorten may have been there, but it was absolutely a crowd if um, Diane Asma was also there holding a hand. Now, Commissioner Watson from the Fair Work Commission recommended that Kimberley Kitchen be charged with eight counts of perjury and four counts of forgery. Now, he also recommended that the same charges of perjury and forgery uh, be put on the head of Diane Asma. Now, the newspapers are coming out saying, oh, Diane Asma is a new uh, herald of, uh, of wisdom uh, in the trade union movement. But anyway, let me go on to this, this motion that was moved against her, Kimberly Kitching, uh, because of her, the charges of perjury held over her head. History owes nothing but the truth. And we are now witnessing the idolisation of a person flawed in character. Column inches dedicated by conservative journalists are written for one reason and one reason only to embarrass and create a political wedge and throw the blame back on certain women in the ALP. Now, the ALP is falling for this three-card trick that Morrison is putting out there. Uh, the ALP has no control over their women and they're all mean women. Anyway, now back to buying a dog. The original censure motion moved in the Senate by Erica Betts. Now, we all know Uncle Eric and was supported by Pauline Hanson and passed 35-21 for lying to a royal commission. He went on to further find her conduct strikes at the heart of the integrity of the entry permit system. Now, this is a part of the censure motion moved in the Senate, but it's not part of any bullying tactic uh, provided by the Greens, uh, the Coalition and One Nation. And motion went on to state, anyone appearing before the Royal Commission should provide reliable and truthful evidence. Now, take into account that Erica Betts and Pauline Hanson became very good friends with Kimberly Kitching over the over the uh, last six years. As a matter of fact, Kimberly Kitching used to cut cake with Pauline Hanson in her office. And uh, when poor old Kimberly passed away, both Pauline Hanson and also Erica Betts broke down in tears. Now... They moved the motion 3521 to bully her 
uh, in the first place and now they are crying over her death. Anyway, that's my that's my contribution for this morning, Susan, and uh, I don't know that I've got enough breath, breath to continue on. You just mentioned Diana Asma. Oh, yes. I remember her well, and so do you. Remember oh, she... Yeah. She had some really good barbecues in her backyard and, and a couple of chook raffles, and she raised $250,000 from that. Oh, her big barbecues. They and, were big. And big chook raffles too. Yeah, and also take into account she left the council, the Darabin Council, under a cloud owing $18,000 on her mobile phone bill which they've never uh, recovered to the best of my knowledge. And these are the people Andrew Landier are criticising the Labor Party. He's not a member of the Labor Party because he's not allowed to be uh, because he's such a grub um, that the Labor Party won't allow him to be a member, yet he is the major influencer on Bill Shorten. Uh, a member of the Labor Party and former Labor Party leader. Yes, it's a shame, isn't it, to see something go down like that? Well, you know, when they quote Peter grubs like Andrew Landieu and grubs like Diane Asmar, who has been mining uh, controversy and who should have been charged by the Royal Commission and Fair Work Australia for perjury and forgery. And we have the newspapers, the right-wing newspapers, who are only out there to create a wedge uh, between the Labor Party so that Morrison can sneak up on the inside. I can remember you saying to Andrew Landier that the trade movement could do very well without him? Well, the trade union movement could do without him, but for some reason he was a persona non grata in the trade union movement, yet he was a confidential advisor and influencer to Bill Shorten when he was both Secretary of the Australian Workers' Union, and he was also the federal leader of the Australian Labor Party. And good friends with Caesar Mellon. Oh, well, Caesar Mellon, he got fined $25,000 for running a, a shonky industry fund, um, which raised 200, uh, two, no, I think it was $500,000. Uh, by inviting bosses along to trade union functions, making them pay $5,000 for a table in order to cosy up to other trade union officials and then use that money to fund right-wing unions such as the Health Workers' Union with Diane Asma or the Plumbers' Union uh, with uh, Eric Se- uh, Earl Satchers. I tell you what, they're a grubby lot, and I tell you what, I'm not opposed to the Labor Party. But as we always say, Susan, 
We are very, very disappointed. Extremely disappointed. Extremely. Yeah. Well, when we have grubs like this uh, running the party, these people have actually kidnapped the party uh, from the working people, uh, from the rank and file of the trade union movement and the rank and file of the Australian Labor Party uh, with factional deals, as I used to say in the old classics, dirty deeds done dirt cheap. Uh, is it, that's about all we can say, Susan, is, oh, dear. There's also, um, I wonder about the $6 million that went missing from Melbourne University while Landy <laughs> was in charge of it. Remember that? Uh, that's an old story that should be told at another time, Susan, but Andrew Landy, Andrew, they used to call him Andrew Slandyu because uh, every time I mentioned him, uh, he threatened to sue me, but um, there was $6 million that went missing from the uh, Melbourne University uh, from the Canteen Fund, as I understand it. Now, I cast no aspersions against anybody, but when it came time to be interviewed about that money, Andrew could not be found. Guess where he turned up? Costa Rica. <laughs> Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Lying on the beach. You sure it wasn't Brazil lying next to Ronnie Biggs? Ronnie Biggs. He's, he, uh, he was a bit like um, uh, David Asmar, the husband of uh, Diane Asmar, when he was uh, summoned before the Royal Commission into Governance and Corruption. He couldn't be found to... Um, to serve the papers on him, but he could be found uh, in Lebanon uh, at the time he was supposed to be given giving evidence, and he found a doctor to say that he was not fit to travel uh, within the coming months or years uh, oh. to give evidence before the Royal Commission into corruption <laughs> until such time as the Royal Commission had finished. And he came home after it was over. How did they get away with this? Oh, well, look, Susan, if it was you or me, your friends and my friends would be still trying to raise the bail money. In Andrew Landy's case, it's the connection to Bill Shorten uh, that allows him to get away with it. it most things, but I just could not get over the canonisation of uh, St Kimberley. She was actually called by one newspaper columnist and take into account she used to appear on uh, Andrew Bolt's program once a week, but she was, she was actually called by a newspaper columnist uh, this week, the Senator of Senators. Oh, my God. God. After six years in the Senate with perjury charges hanging over your head, this person went all the way, and it almost makes me vomit in my underpants, to call her the Senator of Senators. That's got to be the quote of the year. 
of the century. Oh, well, yes, if you want to go that far, Susan. Uh. Well, okay, Bagman, you're not feeling too well, I know that, even though I know you're on the way back. Yep, yeah, I'm, I'm getting there and I'm um, taking a walk around the block uh, every day. It's a bit hard, uh, but um, I'm doing it and I'm gradually getting my health back. But thanks to all those people who did inquire uh, about me uh, through your program, and I'm, I'll be eternally grateful for that. Good on you. So let's go out in the same old way, Susan. Oh, why not? Dare to struggle. Dare to win. You don't fight. You lose. Good morning from left after breakfast. 